welcome to I Don't Know the Podcast, episode 26, James Casbolt, Super Soldier. James Casbolt, aka Michael Prince, claims he was born into a secret super soldier program deep underground in Canada. James, along with 41 other children, were subjected to mind control techniques to make them ruthless, unstoppable killers. He's dealt with everything from space aliens to the Illuminati. Over his lifetime, he says he's assassinated over 200 people. Surely he should be in prison, right? Well, he is, but not for what you think. But was he really a super-secret government super-soldier? Or is he just a sad fantasist? I don't know. So listen on to find out what else I don't know about James Casbolt. Super Soldier. Super Soldiers commonly crop up in popular fiction, with movies like Captain America and... Um, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Super soldiers have enhanced abilities, either genetically engineered or surgically implanted. Others are brainwashed or have mind control forced upon them, along with mind-altering drugs. But that's just in the movies and comic books, right? Wrong! In the book The Men That Stare at Goats, John Ronson uncovered secret military programs involving psychic phenomena and parascientific combat techniques during the Cold War. Then, we find out that MKUltra was a real thing. The US Army used psychoactive drugs, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, and torture to create a mind control program. And then, there's this. Uh, women had given birth to them and they were all brought over to this particular facility. And what they were doing was um, they were giving us the attributes of, of um, various animals. Mm -hmm. Evelyn Rothschild's entourage was sat in the middle. And then the whole place just erupted in a riot, people running around screaming. James Casbolt is a British guy from the sleepy seaside town of St Ives in Cornwall. Except, he isn't. He's also known by the name Michael Prince. It's unclear which is his real name, but mostly people seem to call him James Casbolt. There's a lot more to his background, so let's join him as he talks to Richard Hall. Tell me as you recall it from, from being a, a young child, what are your first memories? Um, well, this goes back to 1976 when I was a baby. A few seconds in and we already have a problem. According to all documents, James was born in 1978, not 1976. Um, the name of the project that I was involved in um, was called Project Ibis, 
and this was run by um, Nash the American National Security Agency and MI6. And um, does that stand for anything? IBIS, it's there's uh, there's Nazi connections with that. I'm not sure about Nazis, but according to my research, an IBIS is a large wading bird. The the project was started in 1972 at the Tavistock Institute in London. And um, the project was started there by Dr. Green and some other people. Dr. Green being um, Joseph Mengele. Joseph Mengele? The Nazi angel of death who fled to South America and died in 1979? The same Joseph Mengele, who is a shape-shifting reptilian, according to episode 24 of this podcast? Um, so you... Yeah. you you claim he was in the UK doing research on mind control victims after... In 1972, he was in London, yeah, in right. Tavistock Institute. Right, okay. So how have you gleaned that information? Because you, you weren't born in 72, you were... Um, that has, that's on file, that's been, um, there's been various file data passed to me. Right. That particular information has been passed to me by the SAS. Right. File data? Surely we need to see this. Okay, and now um, are, are you at liberty to disclose the documentation? To um, I haven't got the documentation, it's um, from a database. Right. And then it's been passed to me from the right. database. Does he know how files and databases work? James drops that sort of reasonable scrutiny and gets on to the beginning of his story. I was, I was born into the project. Um, the, the origins of Project IBIS were at a facility called the Q552 facility, and that was underground uh, in the Rocky Mountains in Canada. Right. Now, that was um, underground in a place, a little town called Nelson there in the mountains. Right. Nelson seems like a nice place. I looked at the Visit Nelson website, and there's no mention of a government underground orphanage. Project IBIS was 42 children. Right. Um, in Canada. They were all in Canada at the Q five five two facility, right. but they were they were brought there from different countries. Right. Uh, women had given birth to them, and they were all brought over to this particular facility. Right. How awful! Babies snatched from their mothers and taken to Canada. But what are they going to do with all these kids who now have to eat round bacon? Right. Uh, DNA was tracked. Right. Um, Apparently, the NSA IBIS file states that they, um, the NSA were looking for blood prime. Right. Um, they say it's Anunnaki blood. Right. Okay. Uh, so this, so you were chosen, or you were possibly even um, not chosen, but um, your parents, your lineage was selected perhaps before you were born. Yeah. So exactly. they, were, they knew that you were going to have this DNA, and then you were brought into that project. That's, yeah. That's what you're saying. The Anunnaki are said to be gods from Sumeria. Assyrian and Babylonian mythology. Some suggest they were aliens from the planet Nibiru. James says he was raised in the base for four years. The interviewer starts asking questions about where they slept, where they had meals, and James starts getting a bit vague with his answers. Then, once he's had time to think, he comes up with some information. When we were babies, we were actually kept in the um, building above ground in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And um, this was like a, it was basically an aircraft hangar. Mm -hmm. And they used to keep the doors open. Mm -hmm. And it was just a series of cots. And right. it, it was a trauma center. Right. Okay. So they wanted to keep us cold. 
Right. So yeah. they keep the doors open. We were under armed guard um, 24 hours a day. Right. So because um, there were groups, um, I've been told, who were who wanted to rescue us. Right. So we were under armed guard um, 24 right. hours a day, so we couldn't be rescued. Keeping 42 babies in an open aircraft carrier doesn't sound particularly secure, especially if there's people out there looking for them. But what are they actually doing with 42 babies? Yeah, they did, um, they did a lot of programming with wild animals there. Um, so what they were doing, um, they'd put us in, in, the, in this pen mm -hmm. with um, various wild animals. Mm -hmm. And what they were doing was um, they were giving us the attributes of, of um, various animals. Mm -hmm. They put babies in a pen with a wild animal? Why? Because when we were older, um, we were used in a lot of um, all-terrain warfare, right. um, jungle warfare, Arctic warfare, right. in different countries around the world. So now, we needed to have animal senses. All right, all right. Now, some people will find that hard to believe, James. Um, you got that right. You know, and we, were, we were pushed to the limits every day there. Right. And we, some of us um, were pushed into near-death experiences where we had to be resuscitated. Mm -hmm. How do you push a baby to the limit? All right, so when you, so you then came over to the UK, and do, can you remember arriving in the UK, or do you have any memory of that? We were rescued from that facility oh, by a Special Forces team right. in 79. And who, which country did the Special Forces team belong to? Was that a Canadian? Uh, no, I think they were American Specials. Thank God, they rescued the babies. Who was operating this kindergarten slash petting zoo anyway? It's, it's difficult to say exactly what factions were doing it because there's you might have five different factions within the MI6, MI6 or the NSA fighting against each other okay. so it gets confusing but there was definitely a heavy Nazi um, presence in that we were being indoctrinated with Nazi principles NSA MI6 and the Nazis they were indoctrinating us with these Nazi principles and that's how we could function as assassins when we were older Right. Um, they were indoctrinating us in the principles that existence is about endless warfare right. and conflict, and that's how it is, that's right. how it will always be. I remember when my daughter was a baby, she couldn't understand anything. She was just a eating and shitting machine. Definitely not assassin material. So do you have any recollection of being rescued from this place? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. We were being transported. Um, above ground in vehicle, like SUV vehicles mm -hmm. to another base. Oh, I, I think this was in. I think we were being transported to an Ameri American base. Right. I think it was a base in New Mexico. Right. Wait now. They're driving 42 babies in SUVs from Canada to New Mexico. That's a 25-hour drive. Let's say three kids per SUV. That's a 14-car convoy. Whoever ran their logistics department should be fired. I thought Nazis were supposed to be efficient. All I remember was um, there was a series of SUVs, like a convoy, and uh, I just remember a helicopter coming out. It seems like come out of nowhere and right. landed, and all these um, special forces guys jumped off. I remember a shootout, mm -hmm. and um, I remember some of the children being shot by the, the guards from the Q552 facility. Right. So the 14 SUVs, probably containing two armed adults each, were taken out by one helicopter of people. Well, apparently that's what happened, and the kids were taken to a building in the middle of Toronto, Canada. 
sort of well, well, they well, they did operations on us. They cut us open, and they um, they saw that we had well, it, you know, we had cybernetics in our body. Right, and, and you we, claim to have that still in yeah, you now. Yeah. Okay. And where is that? It's okay. everywhere. Right. So you've got metal in your body. Yeah. Every, right. You know, right. everywhere. Get. Yeah. All right. They created Nazi cyborg assassin kids. This just gets worse. But luckily for them, Delta Force cared for them and deprogrammed them and James was taken back to England. He was put into the care of his mother, Kate Casbolt, and his stepfather, Neil Pettit. And you, sorry, just you, you think that she was an MI6 agent? Uh, there, there, there's definite connections with her right. and MI6. Yeah. And what about your surrogate father? Um, my biological father is a different story. Right. But do you know who your biological father is? Uh, we got a rough idea. Right. But when um... James tells us that both Kate and his biological dad Peter were MI6 agents. Peter unfortunately died in prison. Mother Kate seems to be in on the secret program and later continued to take James to secret bases. James describes in great rambling detail how he was taken after school from Finchley, North London, to a secret base in the Berkshire countryside. The first time I remember in 81, we were, um, was taken out of the car and there was a group of about, about 14 other children. We were all given blankets because it was a bit cold. Right. We were huddled in these blankets. Well, it's, it's, so where do you, uh, were these other children the ones that had been rescued from Canada or were these other ch children? I think they other? were some of the Ibis children. Right, all right. And you said that they were giving you the, uh, these um, kind of um, intelligence tests with shapes and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Right. But the thing is, I always struggle to remember faces. Isn't recognising faces like an important ability for an assassin? They were getting rid of that human factor with the whole Nazi indoctrination. But, is, but was the same type of objective being carried out when you got to England then? It was it just carried on. I was um, genetically enhanced over a period of years, not just my mind, my body. Right. And um, on my records, it says I've got over 200 killed. Right. You, well, mean, so it's saying that you've killed 200 people, even 200 though that people. you're not aware of it. Oh, I remember killing. Um, he said, on my record, I have 200 kills. I wonder if he could show us that record. You don't blame yourself for those killings then? You blame um, whoever's programmed. I mean, I know some of the people I've killed. I know their names. Right. I mean, um, I can, and I don't, some of them were terrorists, and I, I don't, no problem with me. No, right. uh, you know, I would, I'd, so, I'd do it again if I had to, and I won't lose any sleep over it. Oh, he's cold-hearted. So when you've murdered these people, what's, what's what's the technique that you've used? Um, various things. 2007 was... Um, so like many people we feature on this podcast, it's so hard to get a straight answer out of him. You'd think he would have had his answers ready, although he does appear to be somewhat high. Myself and another individual, we travelled, well, I won't say where we travelled from, but we travelled to an area in South London. Right. And we were, um, well, I won't say too many details about him because it's not my place to speak for him. So what was the method of execution then? Well, um, we, we waited in our car, MI6 Jeep pulled up, and um, this guy got out, gave us a briefcase, but when he gave us, before he gave us a briefcase, he gave us the trigger words. 
James tells us that the trigger word is used to activate his implants and give him his killer attitude. But uses a lot more words than I just did. But what was the actual method? Um, well, he gave us the briefcase that had a gun, um, Smith & Wesson. I, always I was often given the same gun. Um, it's a 9mm Smith & Wesson with a pearl handle on it and it's got a symbol of a black dragon on the handle. Right. And that, I call that gun Drago. Like Dolph Lundgren in Rocky IV? Um, no, this was we went to a house right. and um, tied a guy to a chair, right. put a pillowcase over his head and I shot him in the face seven times. Right. So would that not be reported in the media? Would that not be picked up? Would, would local police not then be called? Would that not then, is there no prospect of that then getting out to? Probably not in South London. I don't know, I've tried to research um, so how would certain you... right. killings, like certain things that happened in Brighton mm -hmm. when I was 16, 17 years old. So you would then be re-picked up by, I mean, how would you then get away from the murder scene without being caught by the normal police? Well, you just walk out. Right. Just walk out of the house, shut the door, get back in the car, drive to the to the operatives that gave the briefcase, give them the briefcase back and go home. Right. It's not really rocket science. No, it's not rocket science. This whole scheme from baby to man pulling trigger seems to be a lot more complicated. The interviewer backtracks a bit and wonders why they were rescued from one super soldier program only to be put into another super soldier program. There was a fight over us over right. the 42 children in the IBIS program and we were just going from one faction to another right. and they were fighting over us. It, it, go, it goes to um, 1981 after this, these events happened where we were taken to Greenwood Common. My mother took me to Malaysia. There's actually a um, major NSA facility on the island of Penang in Malaysia. It's a looking glass facility. Right. They use advanced alien technology. Right. That's not really the stable environment you'd want for your child assassin, is it? But now he's on a secret Malaysian base with alien technology. So An important event happened on that island. They had, they had um, aliens, alien life forms, landing on, on this base. Apparently there's a lot of thick jungle coverage, so it was good, mm -hmm. good um, to conceal it. And um, there was... It was almost a, a quasi-ritual one night in the right. base um, where they had, there were seats set up. Is it me or does he sound even higher now? You would not believe how many outrageously long silences I had to edit out of this. Like a triangle formation, they put the children in the seats and there was a what they call Stargate looking glass technology in the middle. Mm -hmm. This was human beings doing this? Yeah, this was, um, but it's looking glasses, I think it's alien technology. Right, so, the, so it's... But this was an NSA facility. Right, so it's the NSA yeah. who were using, some, using children with some alien technology yeah. to then do what? Um, they, it, this was on October the 31st, which is Halloween, I think. I don't think anyone gives a shit about what day it was. They, on this particular day, they, they got the... Uh, machines spinning. They they use some kind of um, coil with, and they run mercury through it. Right. On the machine, and um, some beings came through. Right. Um, beings that I've never heard talked about before. These were wolf-type beings, humanoid wolf-type beings. Right. Um, 
almost like a Bigfoot. Come on now, don't you dare sully Bigfoot's good name by bringing him into this. This was a wolf alien, not Bigfoot. When they came through these beings, it, it damaged the um, frontal lobes of our brains. Or it gave us, give us almost a type of frontal lobe lobotomy right. that this did and, and seriously damaged us. Yep. So do you think this was part of your mind control programming or not? It's just, it's just I think they else. were using our abilities to open this gate up, bring these beings through. Right, all right, I'm with you now. Because yeah. I think they need specific people to do it. With certain genetics. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right. And yet again, James offers no explanation to why that might happen, and then changes the subject again. He's then asked, why is he publicising these covert programmes, and wouldn't the intelligence communities want to get hold of him? And why hasn't he at least been arrested? But I mean, I, 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 I've got a kind of diplomatic immunity. Right. Like, I can't be arrested. We'll find out by the end of the story that that isn't true. James tells the long, long story of how he killed an MI6 agent who stole a nuclear device that powered an alien craft. So, now we're back onto aliens on the island of Penang. I think they're from Sirius. Right. Those particular beings, highly intelligent. Right. Now, they, what they were doing, there was, um, there was some kind of military conflict going on in the area at that time in Penang. I think there was some fight between the SAS on the border there and right. another group. Um, I'd have to research the history mm -hmm. of it, but anyway. Seriously, th this guy does less research than I do. I mean, these two met for this interview during a UFO conference. You'd think he'd have some facts at hand. Um, these particular beings had come in, and um, as soldiers were killing each other, they were, they, they were um, involved in some kind of recording brainwaves. They were learning about human behavior. Right. And they were deriving some kind of um, almost sexual pleasure from, right. from the energy mm -hmm. of the soldiers of killing the each other on the yeah. border. Yeah. They were kind of feeding off it. Okay. Ew! And what about um, the grey alien that we hear about a lot with abductees? Uh, you know, what, do you have any uh, information on that? The greys? Yeah. Um, well, I know they're connected to the reptilians. There's a heavy reptilian right. um, involvement here. I mean, this goes so high level, it's so big that, I mean, you talk about evidence, there's, we've got video footage mm. of a, a crash retrieval site mm -hmm. in Chichester in 2008. There's reptilians on the, on the video footage. Right, and you've got that? We've got that, yeah. Right. I took a look at this video. It's on YouTube with James narrating over it, telling us what he sees. It is the grainiest piece of shit I have ever seen. I just want to mention one thing. We okay. did ask you about your about whether you've got any scars. Yeah. And just tell us what you said about that, because you said that you'd been cut open. Yeah, there was um, the technology they used was some kind of advanced lasers that don't leave scars. Okay, and we were also asking about the metal in your body. Yeah. Have you had any? Tried, what happens when you go through airport scanners? Um, they don't go off because this metal is not detected with normal metal scanners. Right. I've had x-rays in the past, but they don't, sh at hospitals, but they, they don't show me them. Right. And what about, you haven't had an MRI scan before? No. Right. All right. Wow. His numerous electronic implants don't even show up on an x-ray. I wonder why. Okay. So is there anything you want to um, add? The information speaks for itself, Richard. 
my life has just been a series of, of military training, assassinations and things like crash retrievals. The information certainly does speak for itself. James's story takes a really unexpected turn in 2009. He met billionaireess and music producer Haley Meyer. She was the daughter of Hank Meyer, an American billionaire who owned a supermarket empire. They started an online relationship, and after meeting in person, they got married, much to the chagrin of his family. They first lived in his mother's flat in St. Ives, before moving to the US, where James enlisted in the US Army. James now moved in entirely different circles. He was dining at the top table and with the Illuminati, for James believed his in-laws were prime movers in that group, and he was still carrying out his super soldier operations. Here, he talks to Miles Johnston, who you may remember from episode 23. And, oh, there's a lady there too. Okay, um, so we've gone in, Haley, Deb and I, we've been in, we, Peter Lydon got us in again, Princess Diana's cousin, and um, it was in Sotheby's, you know, you saw the picture of me and the Duke, everyone's seen that. Ooh, look at him now, mixing with Dukes and Duchesses at Sotheby's. There was a riot outside when we got there, there was a riot happening, there was all police in that, that riot gear, there was the, um... Occupy Wall Street people. It's going crazy outside there. Mm-hmm. So I walked in. I walked past and this guy in a runs penguin up. suit. Yeah. <laughs> I walked past and this guy runs up to me and goes, "Hey, mother, uh, are you going in there to count some money?" And then uh, this woman runs up to Haley and goes, "Fuck you and your jacket," to Haley. But we like ignored him and just carried walk, carried on walking in, and then. Um, Yes, just move along, ignore the poor people. Gone in, and there'd be the, you know, like they were auctioning on things, like watches and stuff. And um, we had a dinner. We were sat to the left, Evelyn Rothschild's entourage was sat in the middle. It was Evelyn Rothschild. And uh, there was about about nine of them sat there. And he's become such a name dropper now. I hate name droppers. I was just telling Elijah Wood that the other day. And um, I'd gone in the toilet, and there was a toilet attendant. You get up toilet attendants, these places give you aftershave and stuff like that. Ooh, fancy. You know, it was planned before all this, what was going to happen. So I'd gone in there, you know, he was Opus Day, toilet attendant. Right. Yeah, we were talking. And, um, you know, he gave me the green light. Gone in there, and there was a um, hollow compartment in the wall. A glory hole? Was you just triggered at some point and then you knew what to do? Yeah, I got reminded of stuff. But you didn't know when you arrived at that? Well, I'm always under a certain degree of hypnosis, or permanently. So it's just, people tell you stuff and then you just, oh, right, you remember, oh, of course, yeah, we we had that meeting last week, didn't we, and we're going to do this. It's it's pretty simple, really, it's not rocket science. And um, it's pretty easy to hypnotise somebody. So there's a holly... uh, Hollow compartment in the wall pulled out as Heckler and Koch, really machine gun. Oh, not a glory hole. And lifted up the um, system, uh, so yeah, Smith & Wesson taped underneath it. Now it's turned into the Godfather. And I just cut the pistol, put it in my pants, uh, cut the Heckler & Koch, walked out, and he gave me the um, Opus Dei signal speaking in Latin. Everything's always in Latin. Seek bisquitus disintegratum, or... That's the way the cookie crumbles. Just walked out, just with the 
submachine gun in my hand and I got about 10 feet away from them just opened fire on the table. Yeah, and, Was uh, this reported in the news? No, right? nothing reported whatsoever. So you're saying you killed how many people? Shot about nine, there was about nine, shot about nine of them. Well obviously Sotheby's wouldn't want that sort of bad publicity to get out, would they? Um, just emptied the clip, sprayed them, the people to the right, I was shooting them in the back, like that, um, around chest level. And then um, you always, once you empty the clip, you always just drop the gun in these situations, you always drop the gun on the floor. And then pulled out the uh, Smith & Wesson and just emptied it in. I was shooting people in the face then with the pistol. They were the ones facing me. And then the whole place just erupted in a riot, people running around screaming. It was just chaos. And um, I dropped the pistol. And then they always told to walk off calmly after you do the shooting. That's in The Godfather as well. And um, we just got out of there, and there was a car waiting for us. But the riot outside was to cover up the noise sure. and the chaos inside. Very clever. That wasn't in The Godfather at all. Then Miles tries to ask a question, and he has a little bit of trouble. British soldiers and the happy American soldiers, you absolutely think this is, you know, they really, the, 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 you know, they're, they're disingenuous, they're, they're pretty... They think this is not true, and they think that you're bringing the the, arm, the relevant agencies and uh, armies into disrepute. You know, oh, you didn't do this, whatever. I, what, if you're talking to a bunch of guys who disagree with you violently about this, what would you say to those? That took almost 30 seconds to say, some people think you're full of shit, and he kept it in. And I know Miles knows how to edit stuff. He used to work in television. Well, I'd say, you know, why would all this massive effort, all these people to bring me down, try and destroy me? It's a big network, it's a lot of effort. Why, if I haven't done anything, why bother doing all that? I've lost everything, I'm sat here with no money. And more importantly, I'm sat here with no family. And it's because it's revenge, because of what I've done. But I knew it, I knew it would happen, I knew it would be for that. Okay, so. But the war's just beginning, Miles. It seems that not everything in the garden is rosy with his marriage to Haley, And there really are people trying to bring him down, but for a very good reason. James had become increasingly violent towards Haley. In 2013, Haley left James and took their child with her. That's right, this man has bred. She filed for divorce. James responded that he would, and I quote, dedicate the rest of his life to destroying her. He attempted to blackmail her family for $2 million by threatening to publish explicit pictures and videos of Haley. He also threatened to kill members of her family. James, who a judge described as evil, was sentenced to 12 years in prison by Truro Crown Court. It's a sad end to the story of a ridiculous fantasist. I feel sad for his family. I feel sad for Haley, But most of all, I feel sad for... Whoever has to share a cell with this prick. Episode 26 James Casco Super Soldier The Epilogue So, what have we learnt this week? We learnt that you can turn babies into super killers by putting them in a pen with a wild animal. And what they were doing was um, they were giving us the attributes of, of um, various animals. Mm -hmm. We learnt that James has watched The Godfather a lot. 
And then um, you always, once you empty the clip, you always just drop the gun in these situations, you always just drop the gun on the floor. And we learnt that, despite death threats and blackmail attempts, James didn't get his money. I've lost everything, I'm sat here with no money. I came across James's story while desperately trying to find a new subject for this week. I found him doing numerous interviews with Mal Johnson from The Basis Project. In fact, it seems Miles has been his biggest promoter over the years, never balking at releasing streams and streams of James's outlandish bullshit without questioning anything. Miles has even stuck with him and reports from his prison visits on his YouTube channel. Nothing in James's story adds up. You can see him making this crap up during the interview. From what I can tell, he had a pretty shitty childhood. He obviously has low self-confidence and probably made this super soldier nonsense up to pump himself up and appear macho. The aliens and Illuminati stuff are just the extra diarrhoea on the shit Sunday. The last word goes to someone who knew James in St. Ives. After the sentencing, he had this to say, and I quote, I lived in St. Ives between 1998 and 2008. I knew both him and his mother. His father was an alcoholic pothead who allowed James to smoke from an early age. He also used heroin at one time. All of his conspiracy claims are false. He lives in a parallel universe. Very worrying that so many people have been taken in by his delusions. I hope he gets the help he needs. If you enjoy this podcast, then share it with your friends and let me know. Join the Facebook group and the Instagram, and you can email me at I don't know pod at outlook.com. Special thanks to our logo creator, Raymond Roel of Project Raven Creative. See all his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and come back next week to find out what I don't know. Sign to do Creeping